Turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, and I've got to be honest with you, I've been wanting to get to chapter 19 so bad I can taste it, but God just says, nope, stay here. So that's what we're going to do. We looked at 17 last week where we saw God was working through Elijah to help his fears. And now today, God is faithful in fear, and we're talking about the fear of God. Now, when I say the fear of God, some of you know exactly what that means. So I've heard people say before, oh, that boy needs to have the fear struck into him. And uh, what does that mean? I mean, are you just are you saying that, that you want God to smite somebody? I, I don't think that's what it is. Uh, it just means that we want people to respect and to understand and to honor and revere God for who he is. And if they choose not to do that, that is their loss. But when we talk about the fear of God this morning, we see that there's one thing that the fear of God does. Let me show it to you on the screen. The fear of God reminds us that he is God and we are not. The fear of God reminds us that he is God and we are not. Whether you are a person who respects God and his will for your life, or you may be too busy Living for yourself right now, whichever camp you're in, understand this. This is very clear. At one point in time, we are all going to have to face our Savior. We are all going to have to face God, accept and embrace the fear of God one day. So in today's passage, Elijah feared God, so he served him. Now, King Ahab was... The king of Israel, he was part of the line that was the bad kings. And matter of fact, he did not fear God. He feared his wife. All right, no amen. All right. But uh, he he truly was fearful of his wife Jezebel. And we'll see more about that later. But let's see how God got their attention. Because at this point, Israel is rebelling. At this point, they are being led by the evil king Ahab. And Elijah, as we learned last week, has just come off of an amazing miracle to where a widow's son had passed away. This widow had fed Elijah, and with what little bit she had, and God multiplied it, the son passed away. And then Elijah, through God's help, brought him back to life, which gave him the confidence to do what we talk about today. And so the first thing that we see is to fear God means to obey him. To fear God means to obey him. Growing up, I loved my mom and dad dearly. I loved my teachers. I loved my coaches. I loved my pastors that I was growing up. But when they said something or had said that I did something wrong, I feared the repercussions of those. Not because I was fearful that I would be harmed within an inch of my life, though they may have wanted to make me think that. But it was that I just really had a deep respect for them. And it's my hope that everyone in here today has that same type of hope for God and that same type of healthy respect for God. Let's see what it looks like. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 3, we see later on in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourselves to King Ahab. Tell him that I soon will send rain. So Elijah appeared before Ahab. So that's verses 1 and 2. In just those two verses, it helps give us a little bit of context. I don't know about you, but we've had times in America, and there's definitely been times overseas where there has been times of recessions. I'm at least old enough to remember the gas wars back in the 80s where you were paying a lot of money, and there were, there were 
people that were trying to get gas, there was no gas to be had because it was so expensive. Some of you have lived through the, the market crash. Some of you have gone through the housing crash. Some of you have seen your stocks go up and down. And so we have seen a lot and we have seen a little, but this famine was lasting three years. Now, back then, the famine would have been like if here in America, our money system crashed because when the famine happened, there was no food to feed the animals. There was no seed. There was no other things to help the crops. And so if the crops died, the animals died. And if the animals died, there was no money. And if there was no money, people were in dire straits. And so things like water, things like uh, shelter, things like clothing, they became the currency that people depended upon. But Israel is going through this drought and God is trying to get their attention. It was desperate times for desperate people. And so what we see is if, if we are to fear God means that we are to obey him, that means that God is using today's tests. Let me say this one more time. God is using today's tests to prepare you for greater things. The things that you're going through now are preparing you for what God has next. If you don't believe me, look at what God has brought you through. Also, we see that God is preparing you for your next field of service. We saw the fact that when Elijah healed this widow's son, it was preparing him for what he would face. Because, again, this was a dark time in Israel's history. King Ahab was known as one of the evil kings. As a matter of fact, his wife was named Jezebel. You probably have heard that name before. And Jezebel was the daughter of King Tyre, T-Y-R-E. And he was known as one of the most evil kings in Israel's reign. And so here we have Elijah facing up one of the most wicked and evil kings that has ever been in Israel. And that is just a picture of what the times were like. Here's the crazy thing. What you see here is that, and we can see it even in today, that God uses government leaders... God uses government leaders, whether they are believers or not. And I'm not just talking about the current president or the past president or the one before that. It doesn't matter who's in office or who's the mayor or who is the authority on a local level or national or a world level. God uses people within government to dole out his judgment and to dole out his blessings, whether they are a believer or not. And God was using King Ahab to deliver his judgment upon his people who had faltered far away. God will use the good and evil for his purpose. And the other thing we see is that God matches your obedience with others that are serving him. We see in the passage, and I won't go into it, but we see that God places in uh, King Ahab's court a, a major domo. And what is a major domo? That basically means somebody to run the house. For Ahab. And so this, this major domo, Obadiah, he secretly was watching out for the prophets of God. As a matter of fact, he hid over a hundred prophets when there was a time of persecution. He was an inside man. So here's the thing I want you to see. If God is asking you to do something, if God is leading you to talk to that friend about Jesus, if God is leading you to do something For his glory. If God is leading you to make a tough decision, you can be assured if God is prompting you to do something, he's working on the other side of that decision. 
He's just waiting for you to make the decision. God is always working ahead of us. Uh, And so we also see that while Elijah seeks to free God's prophet from the outside, Obadiah was working on the inside. And then also we see that there is always a fear in someone letting us down. Because as you read in the passage, the first part of 18, Elijah said, look, go to the king and tell him I'm going to come and talk to him. Because King Ahab had heard about Elijah and he was not happy that Elijah was around. So if Obadiah had gone to the king and said that Elijah was here and Elijah was a no-show, oh boy, he would have got a thumbs down on his Facebook page. He might have got a dislike if they even had one of those things. He might even get a, a, a terrible stare from Ahab. No, he probably would have lost his life. And so he was depending on Elijah's faithfulness. He was putting his neck on the line for Elijah to be faithful. And folks, sometimes people will let us down. But even if they do, that doesn't stop us from trusting God. And when we stand for God, we stand in his presence. Take a moment. And look at verse 15 for a minute. He says in verse 15 of chapter 18, But Elijah said, I swear by the Lord Almighty, in whose presence I stand, that I will present myself to Ahab this very day. Elijah understood what David understood when he was fighting Goliath, is that when we stand for God, we do not stand alone. He was in the presence of God. Folks, when we stand with God, we are never alone and we are never fighting in our own strength. Sometimes we have, this sounds like the the top ten things that a preacher would say, but sometimes we have to give it to God. And what does that mean, literally? That means literally give it to God, and when you try to pick it up with your thoughts and your actions and your emotions, you stop and say, no, I've given it to God. The second thing we see is that you have nothing to fear when taking your stand for God and his word. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 17 through 19. Let's read those for just a moment. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? So Ahab was not happy to see Elijah. And so in verse 18, he says, I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers. Oh, oh, hold on a minute. Ahab is saying, are you the troublemaker? And then so here comes this Elijah guy going to the king of Israel and saying, no, I'm not the trouble. You are the trouble. That took guts. Because remember, they didn't have a time to to vote on this. They didn't have a time to look into it. They wouldn't have had an FBI investigation on what Elijah had just said. Elijah just stood up to the king of Israel and said, no, I'm not the problem. You're the problem. He must have been crazy. No, he was powered by God. And as you continue to read that, he says, um, you are the fa- you are the family 
are the troubles, and you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. (laughs) So he said, bring your men, bring your prophets, bring your wife. And bring her men too. And we are going to have a WWF smackdown in just a minute. He's saying, look, you're going to put your people against my one. So the odds here are roughly 850 to 1. So the odds are forever in your favor when you are standing on God's word. Again, it, the odds were 850 to 1. But when the one that you have is God, he is all you need. The world will tell you that you need this. The world will tell you that you should sit down and be quiet. Go to church on Sunday. Enjoy your service, but don't tell us about it during the week. Don't talk to me about Jesus. You have your party, but keep it to yourself. But my friend, it doesn't matter what comes against us. If God is on their side, an army can come against us. I tell you what, I remember being a teenager in high school long time ago. I can remember when I see some of these teenagers and some of these smaller children, I think that it is brutal in those halls. It is brutal in those schools. But there are times, even as children and teenagers, where the only person you have to stand for you in that moment is God. Now, don't worry, if you run to your mama, mama will be up there and talking to the the teachers in just a matter of a minute. But when you're in that situation, and whatever it may be, I want you to know God is with you. Some of you are in a fight for your life today. And the devil wants to make you think that God is not faithful. The devil wants to make you think that it is 850 to 1, and all you've got is 1. But my friend, you have got the only one that you need. And that is God, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Fearing God keeps you from wavering. Fearing God keeps you from wavering. Look at verse 21. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. So here you have Elijah challenging them, and they're like, Uh... No, no, I can't. Don't want to talk about it. Don't miss this huge fact. This was not the Babylonians he was talking to. This was not the the Amorite, the Jebusites, the Hittites, termites, whatever it may be. He was talking to God's chosen people, Israel, who had wandered away from him. And before you get into all Old Testament mode and you think, Oh, this is a great story, but move on, preacher. Is that your life today? Have you let God's, with the little g, come into your life and take the place that was meant for God, the big G? Have you let things come into your life to dilute your faith, to cause you to doubt God, to think that he is unfaithful, and now you are wavering in your faith because the only strength you have in the one true God is being eaten away by the enemy who is a liar telling you to doubt God. 
And he's telling you to doubt God because of what you listen on to, what you listen to on TV, what you click on on your computer, what you meditate about, the things you dream about, all of these different things that are going contrary to what God wants for your life are influencing you and pulling you away from God. So if you think you're going to find strength in a bottle, if you think you're going to find strength in a pill, if you think you're going to find strength in pleasure, then you are going to find pleasure or or escape from it for just a moment, but it will come back worse than ever. I found when I was growing up and I thought I could drown my problems in alcohol, I found out that they could always swim. They were always there. You can self-medicate yourself to the grave. And never be fulfilled. Because you have let little gods take the place of the one true God. Because see, the Israelites, they knew what it was like to serve God. And they also knew that there were, they were disappointing God. And they were disappointing their ancestors. James 1, verse 6 through 8 says, But when you ask, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with a divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Folks, there is nothing, nothing more dangerous to a family or to an organization than having a member who is half committed. There is nothing more dangerous than having somebody on your team that wears your jersey, wears your shirt, that you depend on, that is only half committed to the job. That goes for organizations, again, your family, and even the church. Folks, do not think that you are fooling God if you are holding back on what he's asking you to do. He knows. Jesus told the church at Laodicea that he knew that they were lukewarm in their faith and he told them to stop because it literally turned his stomach and made him want to vomit. In Revelation chapter 3, if you don't believe it, read it for yourself. My friend, if you are going to live for sin in yourself, let me give you a little secret. If you are vacillating between living for the world and living for God, I'm going to give you a way that you can have total peace today. Are you ready? And this is what Jesus says. If you want this world so bad, jump in. Don't, not, don't one foot it. Jump in both feet and enjoy it while you can. Be happy while you can. But if you don't and you want to live for God, quit dipping your toe in the other side. Now, I've gone through a different diet programs. I've gone through, I've had so many people say, well, preacher, I've got something if you just take this pill and, uh, and, and you know, I'm concerned for you, pastor, and your health. If, if you take this, everything will be better. They didn't work. But I've found sometimes that when I, I'm more hungry and I just keep eating, sometimes I'll just take the salt shaker, especially at a restaurant or the pepper shaker, and I, whatever I'm getting tempted to eat, even if it's cake, I'll just put salt all over it or pepper all over it. Why are you doing that? Because if I don't do that, I'll eat it. Folks, sometimes the things that are tempting you, you have to make them unpleasant to not desire them. 
Because being tormented between what you want for yourself and what God wants for you constantly is no way to live. Jesus said himself, either be one or the other, but don't do both because it makes me want to vomit. There's freedom in that, folks. Hey, live for today or live for eternity, but don't try to do both. Because if you are walking the fence in your faith, then you have lost the fear of God. We think that God is this grandfatherly figure with a beard, and he just, you know, he's all hugs and kisses and care bears. You know, he, he, he's just, every, you know, the, the grandfather, we can crawl up into the lap, he'll give us a Werther's candy, and, and everything will be great. God is a God of love, but God is a God of wrath, God is a God of judgment, and God is a God that wants us to worship him alone. Put the grandfather figure out of your mind. He is God. He has always been and always will be. And he demands our respect. He demands our love. He demands our fear because he created us and he gave his son so we could be with him. He gave the ultimate price for his own creation. He said that there is separation from him and sin. And instead of changing the rules... When it was concerning his son, he said, no, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if it's good for you, then I have to honor it. Well, then we see is that the showdown in verses 22 through 39. Verses 22 through 39 says, Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now, bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they want, and they can cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. And then I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood of the altar and not set fire to it. Verse 24. Here's the test. Then call on the name of your God, little g, tells the prophets of Baal, call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. (laughs) They had no idea how they were getting set up. He says in verse 25, Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and they placed it on the altar and they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar that they had made. Well, about noontime, Elijah had been mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he is daydreaming or is relieving himself. Or maybe he is away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be wakened. I would tell Elijah right here, listen, son, don't get too cocky. (laughs) And you'll see why next week. But, uh, hey, don't take credit for what God is doing. Don't get the big head. And then, verse 28, so they shouted louder, and following their normal customs, they, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound 
nor response. I can't help but, but think about that verse when you see that the, the prophets of Baal have been shouting to their God that was not going to answer all day. They were so devoted to that God. They were so devoted to keep their disobedience. They were so de- dependent to keep their promiscuity. They were so intended to keep their own sense of pride that they would cry all day. And to the point to where they started cutting themselves. We think that teenagers who cut themselves is just, we don't understand why, but we can see why here and why people cut themselves. is because this is evil. This is an epidemic. This is people trying to get their God's who have no power to give them power, and they can't, so they are trying to manipulate it on their own. Sorry, you didn't need that commercial. Then Elijah called to the people, Come over here. They all crowded around him and replied, or repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. Check out verse 31. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. And if that was not enough, he said, Then fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. Again, a little time out here. Before we go into verse 34, what was going on for three years? Are y'all with me? What, What was going on for three years? A famine. So when they are, some would say, wasting water, when they are pouring water on this altar, this is like life itself. If you've ever been in a situation where you wanted water and couldn't have water, you know how precious it is. And so they are taking this precious water during a drought, and using it for this showdown. And then in verse 34, after they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So there was water all over the place. There was all kinds of water and mud. And the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. So y'all get the picture, right? That was... That was that was a bull, pieces of bull, wet, water everywhere. Baals, gods, the, the Baal worshippers had tried to no avail. And so here comes Elijah, throw some water on it. That's not enough. Put some more. And then the third time. And then verse 36. And this struck me. I, I'd never seen this before. I've read the passage many times, but it just struck me. Verse 36. At the usual time for offering the evening service. So we see that Israel, although they were disobedient, although they were being ruled by an evil king, although they were following gods of Baal, little g, they still came and worshipped like everything was all right. Does that hit you like it hit me? Are we here today worshiping like we always do while when preacher says amen and y'all get out of here, you're back to your regular lives? They had no problem being religious. 
they had a problem with their relationship with the Lord. And then Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so those people know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And then verse 38, immediately, whew, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. The people of Israel said, Oh, I am sorry. I see your power. We have... We have failed you, and we have lost the fear of you. But we learned it today. They They were reminded of who God is. And sometimes in your life, and sometimes in my life, the fire has to fall to give us the perspective that God is God, and we are not. The greatest enemies to fearing God are twofold. Taking credit for yourself for the work that God does through you. And number two, saying that God couldn't work through you. Both of them center on our pride. I've heard people say, well, I'd do that, but the Lord just don't want me to do that. I'm to this, I'm to that. Who are you to tell God what you can and cannot do if he's calling you to do it? Don't take the credit for yourself for what God is doing. And don't put yourself in God's shoes telling people what you can and cannot do. Then we see that God is true to his word. So we must fear him today. Let's skip down to verse 40. Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them. Seize them all. And Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. Oh, that's brutal. That's why I don't like to read the Old Testament, because it's got all that killing in it. How much of the altar did the fire consume? All of it. How much water was left? None. All right, you're tracking with me. Good job. Which direction did the fire come from? From the sky, from God. So God sent the fire, the fire consumed the altar, and it got rid of everything, every last drop of water. And then after that, Elijah, under God's command, took all the prophets of Baal and killed them. Why in the world would he do that? I'll tell you why. If he would have left one prophet of Baal, just one, there would be a remnant of what they used to be. There would be that negative influence. And I want you to understand something. When God cleanses you of your sin and you repent of your sin, he wants all of it, not some of it. Because when God consumes you, there is no room for sin. 
God does not take sin and rebellion lightly. Just as God consumes us with himself completely, he wants us to rid ourselves of sin completely. I don't know, but if I'm baking a cake, which I wouldn't do that because I'm terrible at baking, but if I were baking a cake and a flour were to have landed in the cake batter, do you pick it out? Do you leave it? Or you just get another box of batter and start over? I don't want to know your answer because I've eaten some of your stuff. But the point is, would you want to eat a cake or brownie with just a little bit of poison in it? No. Folks, if you have got sin in your life you won't let go of, that's the one thing God wants from you. And he's not going to let you go until you do. There's two kinds of fear of God I've talked about today. There's two types of fear. Number one, for the non-believer, the fear of God is fearing God's judgment at the end of their lives, spending eternity separated from him. Your fear of God is that you are going to deny his Savior. You are going to deny his salvation. And when this world is over, you will spend eternity in a place of eternal separation, just as our bodies are going to be given angelic bodies to reside in heaven forever. Those that go to hell will be given bodies that are built to endure torture for eternity. And if you don't fear that, then you've got a lot of pride. Or for the believer, the fear of God means that we respect and are in awe of who he is. We fear God because we love him and we respect him enough to revere him and obey him every day. I'll leave you this verse. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. As you have come here today, if anything Elijah has painted before you in his scripture today is this, is that God will do great things through your life. It will not be easy, but you will have to confront powerful people in your life. But understand that if we fear God more than those that God has led us to, then he will be with us every single time. If you have grown cold or taken God for granted, let me encourage you at this moment to fear him all over again. Not out of a scary thing of like he's going to hide behind a closet and spook you. But that, that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And no matter who you've got against you, if you've got that one, that one is all you need. If you do not know God, if you do not have a relationship relationship with him as Savior and Lord through his son, Jesus Christ. I encourage you to do that today. Maybe you want to be like the twins and follow in baptism. You've been a believer, but you've always held off baptism because just one thing or another. Maybe you want to join this church or come to the altar or pray where you're at, whatever it may be. This time of invitation is for you to respond. Would you please stand?